Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. This podcast is coming to you because we had an all employee meeting and my chief compliance officer made the craziest analogy. And I want her to share with all of you this analogy that she made to the entire staff because it was so important to me that we immediately record this podcast for you. Misty, or should I say Dr. Ruth, (laughs) take it away. Well, I believe the statement I made, which I stand by, is... Investing is like sex, right? All investments have risk. Sex has risk. The only way to avoid risk is to abstain. If you're going to invest, you carry risk. Do you want an STD? Better know your partner. Better be emotionally suitable. And yeah. Wow. Where do we go from here, folks? <laughs> well, let's talk about what you mean by that, Misty. <laughs> let's rip this apart. Let's talk about the financial, the emotional, and the risk factors involved in investing with us. And we're going to really hone into that suitability component and try to um, <clears throat> ensure that everybody has a very rewarding sex life with us at Ignite Mm -hmm. Funding. Is that fair? Yep. Okay, let's do this. We're going to talk a little bit today about um, financial, emotional, and risk suitability. Because um, a lot of people may not realize how important compliance is to us. So I first want to give them an idea of what I deem to be Uh, a level of importance for compliance. First and foremost, you're the chief compliance officer at Ignite Funding, correct? Yes. Okay. You have worked for me a numerous amount of times throughout your career. I know, since Uh, I was 10 years old, I think. (laughs) Exactly. We're not aging at all around here. And um, you've worked for me under a variety of different capacities, Uh, That I have. Um, And I would say most people around here wear multiple hats, but only some are suited to wear some hats. Let's take the listeners back just a minute to, I'm going to go back to 2005, 6, 7, 8. Great times. It was, those were amazing times. Well, 8, I'm going to mark that off the list. But during that period of time, what was your capacity in which you worked for a a prior company. It wasn't even Ignite Funding, but you and I have worked together before. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your role with me at that time? Oh, gosh. Which one? Which role? (laughs) Let's stick with compliance. Let's stick with the compliance. Yeah. I I don't even think at that time that my title was chief compliance officer. I think it was key accounts manager, maybe. I don't know. There was a few. 
mm-hmm. but all all getting to know the customer, making sure that that they were suitable for those investments, getting to know them, um, and the product, right? What type of product was it? It was a REIT. It was a REIT. So it's a security product. Security. Yep. Then so, SEC, all that. Yeah. So with security products, um, give me an idea of the level of compliance and complexities that revolve around securities products so that we can compare that then with trustees because there's not a whole lot that we do not implement on both sides. So talk to me a little bit about that. What were the suitability requirements for a securities product? Oh, gosh, that's so long ago. I mean, obviously, whenever you're dealing with the government, which is FINRA, the SEC, the suitability requirements are, you know, are very stringent. But, you know, to compare the two, because we do things so by the book here and and over and above what we are required to do, honestly... I don't know what the differences are. You're right. You know why? Because we've implemented all of those high-level compliance yeah. securities across the board. And I think that we've done that because that's 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 how we grew up. That's Absolutely. That's the first thing that we were introduced to in our career, which was a very high degree of compliance. Suitability as it pertains to state suitability for security reasons the vast majority of state security suitability is what? It's income, net worth, all of those things. And the dollar amounts don't really vary that much. Now, no. there's a couple of states that uh, stick out in my mind yeah, that are sure. absolutely absurd. Yes. But for the most part, the average is a $70,000 household income That's right. and $250,000 net worth. Exactly where we are today. Exactly where we are today from the trustee perspective. Mm -hmm. Also, one of the things that was super important back then was get to know your client. Get to know your client. What did that consist of? What What does that mean? So what that means is, are these investments suitable for the meaning? Can they bear the overall risk, right? So it goes back to if somebody invests in this product and the worst case scenario happens and as compliance officer, that's what I always look at. Can they still tolerate that risk? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be calling me up telling me they can't buy bread? Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think you know that we had clients back in that time period mm-hmm. who, you know, signed off that they met all the suitability requirements and I believe that they did. Yeah, right? of course. We, we went to extra lengths to make sure that they they met those before we ever let them invest. But at the same time, when things went south, these are the same people calling me, literally telling me, I can't buy bread. That <laughs> that taught me a lesson, right? And yeah. that's why we take things so seriously now in what we do, mm-hmm. even though we're not required to meet that level. Yeah. But it's our history. It's what we know. It's how we were brought up. The get to know your client. What was the period of time to get to know your client? Uh, Oh, come on. 30 days. 30 days. It was 30 days. Of which you had to. Before they could invest. Before they could invest. That's right. And getting to know them, you did go through that process of figuring out within that 30 days, if they gave you any inkling. That's right. That they were not suitable whether that be financial, that's right, emotional, mm-hmm. or risk related, 
That's right. What did we have to do? Pull back. Can't invest. Can't invest. Yeah. It was like the no shoes, no shirt. Could we have that song playing? <laughs> um, no service, right? Right. And it was a it was a it was a hard line for us. So now let's take that to a more current scenario. Okay. Here you are again. Here we are working together again. Yep. Um, now become the chief compliance officer. <coughs> Excuse me. And a lot of the reason why we're back together is because the way that we were brought up in our careers. Yeah. And compliance was always that underarching, like, how, <laughs> how do we make sure that we're not harming anybody, first and foremost, right? I yeah. mean, obviously, we can risk mitigate all day long. We've talked a, a lot about that from the underwriting standpoint. But we also have to make sure that our clients are the right clients to be investing with us. So let's talk about that a little bit. Because yeah. the 70000 the two fifty that we just talked about from the securities world, which is mandated across most states in the United States, the rules still pertain to us. Although we're not under a securities product, we certainly have the same level of suitability requirements. Let's talk about the financial side. Because so we get so many questions about this from the client's perspective. And I know that our business development executives, um, as they're onboarding clients, are talking a lot about this and making sure that clients understand what they're signing to. When is the the first sign-off on suitability happening from a client perspective? First sign-off would be when they actually open the account with Ignite. And what does it what does it say specifically? So basically annual income of 70,000 or greater for the previous two years with the expectation that it continues or $250,000 net worth exclusive of their primary residence. And that's household. Okay. So those are households. So let's talk about that 70,000 first. Yep. So when we talk about household and we have mom and dad and son and his wife and their kids <laughs> and right everybody within that household, accumulation is 70,000. That's pretty low. It's really low. It's really low. Um, but let's just say we have, you know, a spouse. Um, maybe they're divorced yep. and one child in the household. That's household. Okay. So we have one person yep. and we have one child. Is mm -hmm. that one person? I'm assuming the child's not working unless there's some, you know, child actress or something. Mm -hmm. And there's a different scenario there because they have income. And well, I can go down a whole beaten path there. But Absolutely. let's just pretend like one of the parents is the only contributing factor to that household. Is that parent responsible for that household income? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So simple math here, right? Yep. No, no confusion. No confusion. So when we talk to a client and we talk about financial suitability and we say household, we mean household. We mean household. So let's say they do not make $70,000. Let's look at the 250000 You said excluding Primary residence. Okay. So what does that mean exactly? So if I have equity in my home, I can't count that? You cannot count that. Okay. Primary residence off the table. Off the table. So is your net worth 250000 or greater? Okay. So we're going to accumulate our retirement accounts. We're, can we count those? You can count those. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Um, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds that I bought on the side, Checking my savings. Bitcoin, all of that. Yep. That's my net worth. Cash in my bank account, Cash, my IRA. All of it but not your house. Not my house. House is off. What if I have a rental property? Well, that's not your primary residence. So yes, it counts. Okay, good. All right. So now I have my basis of financial ability. What other questions are happening? Is you know, something that, let's talk about this for a second. Do we record our calls with our clients? We do. We do. Why? 
quality control, right? We want to make sure, again, it goes back to compliance. We want to make sure that our investors are getting good, good service, but good education that they know what they're getting involved with. Yep. That's our getting to know our clients. That's right. And it may not span over a 30 day period. But I would say when clients come to us, um, the educational side of things, there's usually a couple calls they're having with our business development oh, executives yeah. before they're filling out an application. Yeah. Would you very, agree? Very rare that it happens within, I would say, even a week. Yeah. A week, maybe two weeks. Yeah. And once they're picking their investments, and then they get investment docs. Yeah. Which is, is that the second time now they're seeing the suitability requirements? It is. It's the second time. And then every time they sign investor docs, they are signing off again on suitability because things change, right? So you could be an investor with us for three years, but what happens if something's changed since that time? Yeah. Well, let's say something has changed. Yeah. So let's say I've got five investments with Ignite Funding. The 70 and the 250 was not an issue and all of a sudden something's changed. Does that mean I can liquidate all my investments with you immediately because my suitability is no longer met? That's a good question. And no, because when you when you invested, obviously you met suitability, they are locked up until the borrower pays off the loan, right? But what that does mean is you are not suitable to continue to invest. Because again, these are illiquid investments. Yeah. So now I've brought it to your attention. Yep. And this is something that should be important for clients to realize. Getting to know our client doesn't stop in that first one or two weeks. No, and it's not to harm a client. It's to actually help them mm -hmm. because we know, let's say COVID. COVID was a prime example. A lot of people lost their jobs during that time. During that time, we had to have conversations with clients to say, you're not working now. This is not a good time for you to invest. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. yes. But when they start working again, mm -hmm. then- that's when we can can reopen those doors and explore that again. They may all along all along that period of time had investments with us, yeah, because they invested before they they lost their job. Absolutely. But while they their income was either household income was reduced or they weren't working, it was not suitable for them to make a new investment. Okay. Are are we requiring our employees to to have those conversations, continual conversations with clients? Our staff does do that. Yeah. We ask a lot of questions. Yeah. We want to know everything it's that's going on in your life. Yeah, it really is. You know, uh, and maybe we're a little old school. And you know what? Old school is okay when we're talking about people's money. Yeah. So when I say old school, I'm saying, you know, we are not that investment firm that's just sending you an email. That's right. We're going to call you. We're going to talk to you. We're going to find out about the surgery that you had last week. We're going to find out how the family's doing. And through those conversations, we're also exploring What's going on with you financially? You may not mm -hmm. realize it, but that's important to us. We do not want to put you in a situation where you should not be investing with us any longer. Yeah. And it's not one person that's calling these mm -hmm. investors, but multiple people who are getting to know the investors on a personal level. I mean, how many times have you talked to clients? I know. Right? Absolutely. I actually enjoy talking to clients <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. Exactly. And, and not always when it's a bad situation, but also no. when it's a good situation. Yep. But but absolutely. And and I think, you know, more importantly, when I'm talking to them, it's usually in a default situation. Right. Where, you know, we're finding out at that point that we have some some financial constraints that probably should have been disclosed to us earlier on, 
for whatever reason, we're not. And that's fine, mm -hmm. right? We're not requiring clients to divulge their financial information to us. There's no requirement there. Right. But we are asking you to sign off on it multiple times. And we are having conversations with you about it from the financial standpoint. Absolutely. All right. What's the next step? Emotions, right? So it's funny because I do a lot of um, onboarding calls with new clients. And I think I, I share my office too with some of the, the new staff that come in. And I think the first time they hear me do those calls, they're like, what on earth is she doing? Because I spend 90% of that call telling them everything that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And I've not had a single one that hasn't opened the account after that conversation, not one. Because if they can tolerate everything that I tell them that could go wrong, I know they're ready. I know that they're emotionally suitable to invest. Again, I've never had anybody back out. I suppose that could happen, but I will tell you, then when we have to make those default calls, these people yeah. are not caught off guard. They understand what's going to happen, what their options are, and you know that Ignite's going to be there with them the whole step, the whole way. Yeah. So I was talking to an investor who'd done an investment or two with us. The investment agent started to have some red flags because this was somebody who was pretty new to it night, but wanted to go in full bore, wanted mm -hmm. to go on, you know, uh, more risk um, really quickly, adding a lot of funds in. So that investment agent came to talk to me as compliance officer. So I said, well, let me have a conversation. So we were on a call. This investor divulged to me, listen, I'm, I'm well aware of these kind of investments. I have more than 50% of my portfolio investments like yours. I listened. I said, can you repeat that again? Well, I have more than 50% of my investment in illiquid real estate investments. Okay, well, you know what? Based on what you just said, you're not suitable to invest anymore right now with Ignite funding. Ooh, she didn't like that. She did not like that. She, you know, and I can appreciate that, that people always think that they know best what to do with their finances. And that's true in a perfect world where things work out perfectly. Mm -hmm. But what I know is things don't. And when she tells me that her money is illiquid and tied up in real estate and she wants to put even more with us, mm -hmm. I have to think worst case scenario. Well, yeah, and you're you're evaluating other things as well. Her age, her age, right? She's dependent upon the income. Dependent upon the income, one hundred percent dependent upon it. Yep. And what um, if that dries up? Yeah. So this is the depth of those conversations that are happening with her. Yeah. So yeah, that fifty percent wasn't the only variable in all of this. There's multiple variables going on. No, it's just the start of the what Many. ifs in my mind. Yeah. As to what could happen to this investor. Yeah. And investors do get very upset with us when we yeah. when we park them for a minute. But I, I think if, you know, we all as individuals, I'm not saying we're, we're the psychology behind it. Um, obviously, you define your financial uh, risk uh, as as an individual. But we as a company also have the right to pull back with you. Um, and it could be because of a, a prior scenario. It could be because of an existing scenario. But when we talk about that 
that emotional. There's also the intellectual side of things that aging clients, we need Mm -hmm. to be aware of. And you and I have had some conversations about this as well um, with elder abuse. And, you know, it's it's a hot, hot topic right now. Um, How how do we at Ignite Funding address that when we find that there is some um, capacity issues uh, that may come up? Maybe we're forgetting conversations. Maybe, you know, how, how do we um, try to engage in a way where we're finding out a little bit more information without, you know, being an investment firm that has benefactor information, we, you know, uh, next of kin, yeah, it's uh, emergency contact, right? You're not an employee, but how, how do we navigate those waters? Cause it, it does come up. It absolutely does come up with our clients. It does come up. And it's interesting because if you go to any of the trainings for, um, elder abuse, We don't fit into that. And the reason we don't fit into that is because that's training about how not to take advantage of clients. And Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is the opposite. (laughs) And that's upsetting clients, right? So, yeah, these are short-term investments for long-term investors. So, as we talked about earlier, we're having conversations for years with our clients. And because we get to know these people year after year after year as they're reinvesting, we also notice when things change. Things change in their habits, change things in their memory, how they're, you know, they've been investing with us for years, but they suddenly don't remember how to do their loan documents, right? Mm -hmm. And so as those conversations are happening, the investment agents come to me (laughs) and they say, you know, I just spoke with this client and, and I'm a little concerned. And so at that point, they're they're on the radar. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, uh, every situation is different and we're not medical doctors by yes. any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. And so, you know, what I would say typically is they they are on a list, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's be cautious here. We don't want to take advantage of them, mm-hmm. but we also have to you know, respect their wishes. Yeah. So what I've done is as those get handled by me at that point, Mm -hmm. once the investment agent kind of passes them on. (laughs) That's a nice way of saying that an investment agent says, Houston, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. I no longer want to be engaged in this relationship with the client because I am no longer comfortable. That's right. Those are coming to you. Those are coming to me. And now, you know, I have to make a decision. And the decision, like I said, it's individual in it. And it could be, you know, years in the making, right? Because people don't just suddenly lose their mental cognition, but it's a a slow decline often. You know, I can say that there's one client in particular, it's been with Ignite for a very long time. And some calls are very good with with that individual. And some are not. Good days, bad days. Good days, bad days. And that's something that I just continue to log and keep track of. But what I will say is there's a slow play involved in that. So where, you know, the normal client experience would be calling them immediately and letting them know they've had a payoff and getting them reinvested with a client like that. I want to know that they really know what's Mm -hmm. going on. So we won't call. Yeah, we'll wait for them to reach out. We'll wait for them to reach out. When they reach out, that's a good sign, right? They know that they've got a payoff. They are calling. Okay, great. Now Mm -hmm. let's send them loan docs. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Do they do the loan docs? Yeah. Are they they completing them? You know, it's hard. 
Because I don't know that we've gotten to a point um, with any of the clients where it's become an absolutely no. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll happen. <clears throat> it does. But it just hasn't happened quite yet. Yeah. And, you know, then there there is, while they're having those good days, it's an appropriate time for me to say, is there anybody else that you want um, to give, uh, you know, access to your account? So we have an interested party designation form mm -hmm. that investors can complete. Mm hmm and, you know, in a perfect world, we would, everybody would fill one of those out, right? Because yeah. we don't know what's going to happen, but they don't. And, and I get that they don't want to, they don't necessarily want their family to know exactly. what they're doing. Exactly. Um, but on those good days, that's a time when, when I can have those conversations. Yeah. So we're, what I'm hearing from this is we are constantly exploring um, what's yeah. going on with our clients. And, and that's why, you know, that that old school motto of, you know, reach out, talk to them, see how they're doing, you know, tell them happy birthday. All of this is so important to us because our clients are with us for decades. They are. And that's what I mean when, when I say multiple people reach out, right? It, it may start with one person, mm -hmm. but you're going to talk to so many people throughout um, your relationship with Ignite Funding. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately that's probably going to be me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to know that client just as well yeah. as their original agent. And of course, we we talk internally too. Yeah. Um, you know, we we're here for each other to yeah. guide and direct. A hundred percent. And I know that if I try to place a client, because I do from time to time, talk to clients and place them. Um, what happens is uh, what you hadn't mentioned is we do put some clients in a restricted status. Yes, we do. And because we have built our own proprietary system. Uh, we're able to stop future pledges. Yep. So if you or I have a conversation and we are no longer comfortable uh, from the liability standpoint of working with that client further, nobody within the company will be able to place that client, including us. Right. Once we place them in that restricted status. So um, just want to make sure that you know, everybody realizes that, um, you know, we really have some, some stop points and um, I'm not saying, you know, don't be open and honest with us. That's not what this is about, no. whatever. But we need to make sure as far as suitability is concerned that you are financially able, capable, and meet the standards of, of the requirements um, because you will be asked to sign off on that for every single investment that you do with us, mm -hmm. as well as opening up, you know, secondary, first accounts, et cetera. The emotional piece has to be there. Yep. You have to be prepared for the fact that you may have uh, periods of time with no income on some of your investments while mm -hmm. we're working through a default scenario. There also may be periods of time where you could potentially have a loss. You That's need right. to, to realize that these risks, um, you need to be emotionally able to handle that and prepared for that um, and be willing to take in the communication that we're providing you because we're very upfront and honest with you about what's going on with those properties. So yep. although you may not want to hear it, we're going to tell it to you. So make sure that you're emotionally prepared for those types of yeah. things because we're quite blunt around here. <laughs> um, it's all about understanding. Do you understand who we are, what we do? That's initially, right? Yeah. And then as you're investing, do you understand what's going on with your property? Mm -hmm. That That's what we're here to do is to educate. Absolutely. That's why we're an A to Z shop. We yes. originate, we service, we collect. Um, and all the way along those lines, there are there are risks involved with that. Yeah, we're no um, different than any other investment. None. 
none whatsoever. Uh, the only difference with us is, you know, we all here working here, we, you know, this is what we live, eat and breathe. So we take it very, very seriously. Um, and there's, there's no investment or no client that gets left behind in this scenario, but, but suitability is important. It really is important. It's important for us. It should be important for the clients. Um, and if something changes in your life, pull back. It's okay. We are not a high pressure sales environment here. Uh, once you get a taste of these types of, of investments, you tend to want more. Right. Um, don't oversaturate uh, in any one company, any one product, any of that. That's Diversification right. is something that we also educate on. So, you know, if you, if you say something to us that's alarming to us, uh, we are going to react to it because that is probably in your best interest as well as ours. Well, and, and I think we are all very good at doing this. And this is the analogy I always use. Would I want my grandma to invest here? Mm -hmm. Yes, because I know the level of, of respect that we give to our investors. Mm -hmm. And part of that respect is making sure that they understand what they're getting into mm -hmm. and staying involved with. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Misty. Yeah. Um, Chief Compliance Officer, if you get a chance to talk to her, she's probably going to talk risk, but you know, just embrace it. That's her job. She does it well. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert, where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 